Mere weeks after a momentous trip to the West Bank in April of 2017, after seeing firsthand the violent reality of life under occupation, Benjamin Ladra began his 5,000-kilometer solo journey from Gothenburg, Sweden, to Palestine on August the 8th, 2017, on foot. Walking up to 50 kilometers a day with a few meagre belongings in his baby stroller and a Palestinian flag fluttering defiantly in the warm summer breeze, he was off. For months on the road, he relied on the kindness of strangers, occasionally sleeping on fellow activists' couches or alone in his small tent, wherever he could safely pitch it. I wondered what his primary motivation was for doing something which will be deemed by many to be a long and precarious undertaking. I think that anyone that is uh, familiar with the situation in Palestine and knows about the terrible atrocities being committed by the Israeli forces and about life under occupation in general has the feeling that they want to do something and uh, has the feeling that it's also quite difficult sometimes to know what to do. And uh, even though we have a comparatively high level of uh, awareness in Sweden, still I think people really need to know more about this situation. And I think that uh, a good way of raising the awareness is by, uh, well, I was thinking, like what would be good ways of raising awareness? Because I believe education and awareness is key to getting that critical mass movement that is needed to exert the pressure on Israel and its close ally, the United States, to finally uh, end the military occupation and start uh, respecting human rights. So I was thinking about how to raise that awareness as an individual because I'm just me, you know, I'm just a guy from Sweden. What can I do? But uh, I came up with this idea with walking. It seemed like uh, it's such a difficult thing to do. So just a feat when it's within itself would. Uh, bring people's attention and when I caught their attention I could start talking about Palestine and raise awareness in that way. It's also a way to uh, have an excuse to contact the media and contact universities saying that I did this journey and uh, that I can speak about it and people find it interesting and then uh, I come and speak obviously a little bit about it but mostly about Palestine and the human rights situation over there. So it's a way to get an audience. And what did your family and friends think of your decision at the time? Uh, what was the overall reaction? They thought it was a little, uh, little rash, maybe a little over the top, extreme. <laughs> but uh, in the end, my mom just told me to get a good pair of shoes if I'm really doing this. So good motherly advice. And uh, <laughs> I think it was the right idea because I have been giving getting a lot of attention that I have been able to redirect towards Palestine. I'm sitting in a park in Richmond now in the United States where I will be doing a lecture later tonight. I'm here for three months speaking every day. I've done over 20 lectures so far just talking about the human rights situation in Palestine and most of the young American students I'm talking to, they don't know. <laughs> they haven't got a faintest. And when they hear these stories, uh, a lot of them are shocked and express outrage at how, how this can be with so much support from this country as well, from the United States. So it worked in some sense to raise awareness, but obviously the work isn't finished yet. I mean, we still have a military occupation of Palestine and hence we need to do more. As an activist, I think it's really important to focus rather on your efforts rather than too much on your results. 
if your goals are to end climate change or free Palestine or whatever it might be, world peace, I mean, you will get very disappointed after your hard day's work because you didn't achieve it, right? And even if you work very hard for a week or a month or a year, you probably still wouldn't have reached those very big goals. But that's not a reason to get disappointed because everything we can do is our best and we can do everything in our power to try and realize the world that I think most of us share the vision of the world we want to see. And when enough people start doing that, when enough people start trying their best and working hard, because let's be honest, people aren't really trying their best oftentimes. A lot of people are just spending an hour or two in the weekends maybe trying to be active and maybe join a demonstration once in a while. But we're talking about serious topics here, very serious issues and important issues. They require dedication and hard work for an extended period of time. And it's the persistence that will get us there in the end, I think. So Benjamin, talk us through the various countries you walked through and how you were treated. What kind of reaction did you receive in those countries that you passed through on the way to Palestine? Were there any notable exchanges or situations worth recounting? Quite a few countries, uh, starting with Sweden, of course, and then Germany. In Germany, I walked through the old DDR, Eastern Germany, and uh, their far-right extremist party, the Alternative for Deutschland, AfD, are, they are on the rise, so I saw their election posters everywhere, in all the little villages and on all the flagposts and posters. Just It was election time when I was there. So I met quite a few people that made some uh, very <laughs> condemning comments because I was carrying a foreign flag, right? And they're very nationalistic. And the Czech Republic is probably one of the most pro-Israel countries in Europe. Uh, I think I met all the Palestinian activists or the activists uh, working for human rights in Palestine, like all five of them. <laughs> there aren't too many in the Czech Republic, but uh, nonetheless, it was a good experience there. The Palestinian embassy were trying to uh, make a lecture, bringing two Israeli activists to Prague, talking about uh, the human rights situation in Palestine, about BDS and about other topics. And the Israeli embassy had been fighting them uh, a lot, fighting them a lot. And it was very difficult, they told me, to do anything, to arrange anything related to Palestine, because they would get massive pressure from the Israeli embassy and Israeli institutions. So. That struggle was very real in the Czech Republic and the Slovakia, the same there. I was only in Slovenia for a few days. It's not a big country. It's only two million people in Slovenia. It doesn't take long walking past it. I didn't even have to show my passport or anything. The border between Austria and Slovenia, there weren't even any border guards. I was just walking straight through. That was interesting. And it was winter, so the first thing I saw was this ostrich farm with uh, ostriches that had snow on their heads. That was the first thing I saw in Slovenia, so that caught me by surprise. And after that I came to Croatia, and there I was invited by a politician to come and speak at the parliament. That was very interesting. Yeah. Very good man. And... Uh, what was the name of the politician? I had, yeah, Ivan Pernar was his name. I late, later managed to get him to Palestine to check it out for himself. So. And he came back being very shocked, of course, as is everyone that goes and sees the reality for themselves. But uh, we became friends and uh, stayed at his place for a night. I met so many interesting people along the way. In Croatia, walking through that country, you still see the remnants of the war 25 years ago. I saw many ruins and I met many people who had been uh, without an arm or a leg or something since the 
war 25 years ago. Then I came to Serbia, also very interesting country. I was doing lectures and talks along these countries. In the cities, I would go to the universities, try to find some connection that could help me organize something. And I would be talking, talking Palestine and sending lots of emails to the media, hearing if they would be interested in doing interviews about Palestine. So the Croatian National TV did a 15-minute primetime uh, reportage about my journey, which is amazing. I mean, 15 minutes on their like national television, talking Palestine. Imagine that. So that happened. And uh, yeah, there are many stories, and it's uh, stories from an entire year in Turkey, in Lebanon, in Jordan, the border. I was interrogated six hours by the Israeli forces trying to enter Palestine. Of course, they denied me because they have, a, as a policy, to deny people that are speaking about the human rights situation and pointing out all the terrible atrocities that Israel is co committing on a pretty much daily basis. I mean, now the people in Gaza have been demonstrating for over half a year for their basic dignity and human rights, and Israel has is still deploying snipers at the border using explosive bullets to shoot them everywhere on their bodies, uh, killing over 180 people, I think it is now, wounding over 20,000. I mean, this is the biggest demonstrations. These are the biggest demonstrations in the world at the moment. But still, we don't hear about them too much, which is uh, insane. So awareness is needed and struggle continues. So just to go back to your time walking through the Czech Republic, could you tell me a little more about the incident with the Israeli embassy in Prague? What happened exactly and how surprised were you by these events? In Prague, I was walking and I'm walking with Google Maps. So uh, I'm typing the destination for the day, roughly 30, 40 kilometers is a good stretch to walk in a day. And these blue little dots that appear, they usually take you through good roads, usually 75% of the times perhaps. And this time it took me straight past the Israeli embassy in uh, Prague. And uh, I see the flag waving, <laughs> and it's on the road, so I just think to myself that this is a strange coincidence, but uh, I'm passing through there, so it's not illegal to walk, I thought at least. And when I'm approaching with a big baby stroller and a big Palestinian flag, obviously the police and the guards see me quite well, and when I get pretty close, because uh, the road takes it straight through, straight past the embassy, right outside, um they just start yelling at me and yelling at me to stop so i stop and it doesn't take many minutes before i'm uh, surrounded by police and israeli security guards and whatnot probably mossad and shin bet i'm not sure and uh, they uh, obviously they ask me what i'm doing and i say i'm just passing through just just on my way <laughs> and uh, they want to see my passport the Israelis but I say that this is the Czech Republic so you have no authority here but then the Czech police ask me for my passport so I give it to them and they give it to the Israelis and they just pass it along themselves all of them taking a picture of it so at that point I realized that if they didn't know already then uh, they for sure know now who I am and th that I'm coming probably sending the picture back to Tel Aviv. And then uh, they called the bomb squad, if you can believe that. <laughs> they called the bomb squad to search all my stuff. They keep asking me if I have a knife with me. 
they keep asking for like, oh, so if you're a traveler, if you're like hiking like this, surely you have a knife somewhere in your backpack. And I had not. But uh, they kept insisting and asking for the knife, which was non-existent. I have a spoon with me, so I showed them my spoon. <laughs> I'm sure that they would have made many problems for me if I would have brought a knife, which I'm sure isn't illegal in the Czech Republic, but speaking in the context of Palestine, Israel, like any excuse they can find, they will probably use against you. So Then the bomb squad shows up. This takes maybe two hours <laughs> for them to come, and uh, we are just standing around outside the embassy all this time. And they searched through all my items in my bag, and then, then they let me go. Were you worried that these events with the Israelis in Prague might impact the success of the ultimate goal of your trip, i.e. entry to Palestine? Yeah, I suspected that from the very beginning, that uh, I know that they are tracking activists, that they are spying on us, trying to hack our emails and our social media, watching us, putting us on blacklists, everyone speaking out for human rights in the Palestinian context. Uh, so, of course, they will be doing that with me as well. And just as I expected, they know everything about me <laughs> once I came to the border. And during these six hours of interrogations, they would sometimes ask questions which I knew that they could only ask if they had been following me very closely about details in different countries. So it's nothing new. They will deny Jewish people, Muslim people, Christian people, non-religious people entry, Palestinians in particular entry to Palestine if they are outspoken critics of the Israeli human rights violations. Recently, the director of uh, Beth Salem made a wonderful speech at the United Nations talking about, talking about some of the human rights violations that Israel has been carrying out for uh, decades. And the response he gets from Israeli politicians, in particular the Minister of Communication I read today, he called for the just shutdown of the entire organization. And uh, Danny Danon, the UN ambassador to Israel, uh, Israel's ambassador to the UN, just called him a collaborator. I mean, can you believe it? Here is the director of a very prominent human rights organization pointing out human rights violations, being called a collaborator by the ambassador and having many politicians call for the shutdown of the entire human rights organization just because they're calling out the violations of just basic human rights like the destruction of homes, the killing of innocent protesters, the arresting of children in the middle of the night, and these things. And how did the media pick up on your story exactly? Um, it started gaining a lot of traction maybe around the Turkey, at least the international media. The national media would uh, maybe do a story or two. I yeah. spoke with the Slovenian radio and a newspaper. I spoke to the Croatian national television, as I said, also in Bulgaria. I was speaking to the national television there. But uh, when Al Jazeera picked it up and the Anadolu news agency picked it up, then it uh, kind of snowballed a lot. So Al Jazeera made some uh, very nice videos yeah. about my project, and those videos got a few million views. And after that, it, it garnered more attention and traction, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, mm. This was the entire point and idea. So now I'm thinking about the next steps, how I can continue raising further awareness. Uh, so I'm in the States now, I'm going to the UK after this, to, ah, in January. Okay, so you're a busy man. Yes, uh, as long as the world is burning, as long as people are being denied the very right to exist in places, then I will be busy. 
Growing up on the border of British-controlled Northern Ireland in the 1980s, I, as well as many Irish people, have a hardwired solidarity with the Palestinian cause. Uh, we know too well that there can be no justice under military occupation. Do you think your activism had an impact on the situation? What can ordinary people do to help advance the cause of people in the occupied territories? Are you an advocate of uh, the BDS movement? Yes, there are many things that we can do as a solidarity movement to uh, help stand in support and in solidarity with the Palestinian people. So you can look, uh, well, as you first mentioned, if it's possible for you to go and visit Palestine, then that's probably one of the most important things you can do to learn. You need to be very educated on the topic if you want to be active and make a difference, because activism is all about also having the right ideas and pursuing them. You can be the most energetic person in the world, but if your ideas are bad, then your activism is not going to do much. And the way to sharpen your mind is through reading, is through conversations, through traveling, through documentaries, books, human rights reports. It's very important to take the education seriously. And uh, if your country has not recognized Palestine yet, then you can campaign fiercely for your country to do so. You can establish connections with Palestine, uh, diplomatic ones, business ones. You can buy olive oil from there or soap. Soap was invented in Nablus, very old tradition. You can establish businesses through there via your local civil society institutions, via your church, via your mosque, your synagogue, uh, your community center, your school, your university any institution. You can also advocate for the BDS movement, of course, to sever ties with Israel, with Israeli institutions that are complicit in the occupation, saying that while you are complicit in carrying out atrocious human rights violations, we will not do business with you and we will divest from your institution and we will put sanctions. That's a very powerful way of putting pressure non-violently, because it's all about pressure. And uh, there are different ways of mounting pressure. There is the non-cooperative way, uh, meaning the BDS, actually imposing sanctions, actually divesting and choosing not to buy products. There is the, uh, this is the way of legitimizing Palestine by keeping it in the discourse, by uh, uh, recognizing it as a state, by establishing relations, rehumanizing the Palestinian people, I think is very important because our media does a very fine job at dehumanizing them, making them into uh, numbers and abstractions and not actual people who are living and breathing. I went to visit the Palestine Museum here in the US, where I think it's one of the first of its kind, uh, where Palestinians have their own museum with only Palestinian art and history. That's something that should exist in uh, every country, I think, so you can work on that. You can bring delegations from your country to Palestine to go with a small group. You can have any institution organize that, a university or a church or whatever, to bring people there to see it. And you can also bring Palestinians to your institutions and to your country to have them speak about their experience and share. You can organize movie screenings, you can read books, you can have book circles, you can get your try to get your university to unilaterally recognize Palestine and when enough of your institutions do so, then you can start focusing on, on your politicians and the big fish because they move with the wind. And if the wind is strong enough, meaning if there is broad enough support from us, from normal people, if the people actually demand something with a firm voice and don't back down and make it uh, make some consequences for the people in power, if they do not hear our demands, then the world moves.
And uh, if you don't see any results, then uh, just step up the pressure and always think about what the next step can be. Wherever you are in your activist journey and in your saving the world journey or in your personal journey, there's always the next step. No one is finished. No one has done enough. Me neither. And it's important to always consider what the next step will be, how you can mount the pressure and uh, how you can go forward from where you happen to be at this particular moment. Pro-Palestinian activists continue to be smeared with the tag of anti-Semitism, with supporters of Israel incorrectly conflating it with anti-Zionism. Their cynical redefinition of the term anti-Semitism now encompasses anyone who dares criticize the state of Israel. What can activists do in the face of the mighty Israeli Hasbara PR machine as they attempt to shut down all debate and dissenting voices on the Palestinian issue? Yeah, we need to recognize that this is a very conscious strategy to stifle criticism and stifle any debate. If you promote human rights and somebody, somebody comes and tells you that you are a racist, then the discussion is shifted towards if you are a racist or not. And either way, then you, you have lost because the discussion about human rights is not being talked about anymore. So it's very important to realize that that's the strategy, shutting down the conversation and not allowing the conversation to be shut down. Uh, it's just a diversion tactic and we shouldn't fall for it. I mean, I hope that all the Palestinian solidarity activists are human rights activists in general. I mean, we are the diverse group of people. But uh, speaking for myself, of course, I would be on the front lines defending uh, Jewish people from anti-Semitism also. If uh, the Nazi movement spring up again, we will be there and we will stop them. But that's not what's happening at the moment, although the far right is on the rise with all the dangers that is entailing. But we need to be very fierce in our criticism and our opposition to human rights violations. We're wherever they occur and of course anti-semitism is a real thing and that should be addressed at every level we cannot let the diversion tactics of using it as a bait to uh, further the human rights violations of the palestinian people we cannot swallow that bait we need to always make the distinction and know that it's just uh, a tactic benjamin it was a pleasure to meet you your story is an inspiration to many. Uh, yes, the world continues to burn and the dispossessed and downtrodden are those who feel its flames more than any of us. There is some consolation in knowing that there are good people out there like you who refuse to sit back and watch the inferno. Hopefully your story will be the spark that makes some sit up and pay attention to injustice, reinvigorates activist movements and convinces others to take up the mantle themselves and continue the fight for human rights and dignity for all people, not least the people of Palestine. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you want to follow my work, uh, it's uh, Walk to Palestine on all the social media.